0: Good morning. The scripture reading today comes from the book of John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning,
1: let's uh, let's pray again together. Our Father, we thank you for your Word, and we ask that your Holy Spirit today would speak from it to us for the glory of Christ. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is among the most important doctrines in the Christian faith. Romans chapter four says that Christ was raised. For our justification. And Acts 17 says that his resurrection proves that Jesus is the one who will someday judge everyone in the world. And Romans 10 says that your eternal destiny depends on whether or not you believe from your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. So this, this, in Christianity, this is an important doctrine. What is strange, however, is that the Bible tells us that the very first disciples who heard about the resurrection, they had a really hard time believing that it was true. All all four gospels describe the the, the disciples as as doubtful and afraid and confused and slow to understand. They, They heard the message of the resurrection, but they had a hard time responding with faith. And I think we can be encouraged by that because, I don't know if you're like this, but very often, faith is hard for us too. We, we hear the message, and it's hard to respond with, with the kind of faith that can change your life. Now, it might be, for example, here we are, Easter Sunday, we're all in church, you guys look great, okay? But it might be you're sitting here today, and you're not sure you're a Christian, not sure you really believe that Jesus rose, or, or maybe that's not a problem. Maybe you know you're a Christian, but you, you, you kind of feel like the, the guy who's described here in, in this passage, he's called the other disciple. How'd you like to be that? But he's the other guy, right? Um, later we find out it's probably the Apostle John. But look what it says about him. Verse 8 says he believed, and that's good. But verse 9 says... He doesn't really know what he believed, right? And then verse 11 says, even though he believed Jesus was alive, he just went back home as if nothing had happened, right? So, in other words, he believed, but it hadn't, his belief hadn't changed his life. And I wonder, Christian, have you ever felt like that? i felt that way. Like I, my, my faith isn't really what I want it to be. So, many of us can identify with those first disciples, can't we? Just, it's hard to have the kind of faith that the gospel asks us to have. So if that's the case for you, you're struggling to have faith, the question I want to ask today is, what do you need? What do you need? And, and I have two thoughts about that. The first thought is this. If you are struggling with faith, you need evidence. You need some evidence. And this, this might su- surprise you. Um, the gospel, the Christianity is a call to faith but it is not a call to blind faith did you know that the bible never tells us to turn off our brains and just start trusting it doesn't listen acts chapter 1 verse 3 says after his resurrection for a span of 40 days it says jesus gave his disciples many convincing proofs that he was alive isn't that something you know before before he was killed Jesus Jesus told his disciples he would he would die he would he would be risen he would die he would rise again. He never said to them, "Listen, they're going to kill me. I'm going to rise again, but you won't see it. You'll never know. I just want you to accept it on blind faith." He never said that. He appeared to them again and again and again. In other words, he wanted his followers to have some evidence, clear evidence they could base their faith on. And it seems like that the writers of the Of The New Testament they wanted the very same thing for us when you read the New Testament accounts of the resurrection you will find they are filled with filled with descriptive details filled with the names of eyewitnesses in other words they're they are filled with what would have been verifiable claims they so the the New Testament just assumes that to have the kind of faith the gospel is asking you to have you, you need some evidence that it happened. And you see that in in today's passage. Verse 6 says that uh, Simon Peter, he looked into the tomb and it says he saw the strips of linen lying there. And the word that's translated saw, it, it, it was not just the normal Greek word for see. There was a a common word you would use. It was was the word from which we get our word theorize, and it it meant to perceive, to consider, to observe carefully in order to discern. In in other words, that's what Peter did. Peter looked carefully for evidence. And guys, this is what we are encouraged to do as well, to, to look into the evidence that the resurrection happened. So in case that's something that you're interested in doing, just let me, let me tell you a few things for you to consider. And these, these are just broadly accepted historical facts. The most Listen, the most unbelieving skeptical scholars in the world would accept these, these claims because these are confirmed by statements of first century Roman authorities, by ancient rabbinical writings, by the writings of the non-Christian historian Josephus. These are just things that historians accept. Number one... There was a man named Jesus who was crucified in the first century in Jerusalem by Roman authorities. He, he, was, he was condemned as a blasphemer under Jewish law. He was condemned as a troublemaker under Roman law. Number two, um, after his death, Jesus was placed in a tomb where, with Roman and Jewish guards posted there to protect it. Number three, three days after his burial, the body was found to be missing. Number four widespread commotion broke out in Jerusalem as to the whereabouts of the body. The, the, the disciples said that they had seen him alive, that he had risen. The authorities said no. The disciples stole the body, and they are lying. So those, those are just broadly accepted historical facts. Now, the question they raise is, did the disciples steal the body? Were they lying? You know, listen, it, it, there are some troubles with that theory. For example, if the disciples were lying, why do the the early Christian accounts of the resurrection, why do they always consistently claim that the first eyewitnesses to to the to the resurrection were women? Now, that shouldn't bother us, it doesn't bother us. But in in the first century that was a problem because in, in that culture at that time, we're sad about this, but uh, the testimony of women back then was not considered to be reliable. Women were not allowed even to testify in a court of law. So if you're inventing a lie, why, why would you tell the lie in such a way that your, your key, your prime witnesses are not believable to people? Or, or another question, if, if, if they were inventing a lie, why is it that so many, many of the men and women who claimed to have seen Jesus risen why is it that they willingly went to their execution rather than recant their claim? I mean, would you die for a lie? I don't think I would. And, and, and then one other thing to consider is how do you, how do you explain the historical fact of the, the, um, the rise of the early church? I mean, for some reason in the first century, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish men and women throughout the Middle East began to do something that would have been a radical change in their theology. They began to worship a man named Jesus. How do you explain that? If, so, listen, in some cultures, polytheistic cultures, you know, one more God, what's the big deal? You just, you know, worship him. But Jewish people never would have done that, ever, unless something so radically unexpected happened to them that it changed their entire worldview. So listen, this is the kind of evidence that we are invited to examine when we ask ourselves whether we, we believe the message of the resurrection. And you, I don't know if you'll find it convincing, but listen, I will tell you this. Don't you ever dare say that those Christians just tell you to turn off your brain and believe because, the, listen, you know now the Bible doesn't tell you that. You are invited to, to look. You are invited to, to reason. You are invited to, to examine these things. So... If we're struggling with faith, what do we need? First thought, we need evidence. Second thought, we need more than evidence. You need something more. You see, according to the Bible, faith, the kind of faith God is calling you to have, according to the Bible, faith is much, much more than merely a logical deduction that that you reach through an unbiased examination of the facts. It's so much more than that. Listen, according to the Bible, there is a a sense in which faith is a gift. It's it's something that only God can create within you. Nobody else can convince you and force you to have faith. If if you don't believe, you can't even make yourself believe. What am I supposed to do? Just start believing if I don't? It's, It's something that God has to do in you. Now, you might ask, why is that? The, the reason for that, in, in a nutshell, is because as a race, as a species, we, we have rebelled against God. And listen, when we turned our backs on God, something really important broke inside us. And now it's as if we are unable to see the truth and the reality of God. We just cannot see it unless God in his mercy does something in our hearts yeah, he has to do. So this is why, for example, you'll find verses like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The apostle Paul wrote this. The, the person without the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and, and, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Listen, there was a time when that described me. You know, I grew up in church, but yeah, big deal, Right? You, I couldn't see the truth of God until God did something for me. And, that's, and so that's how it is with faith. To have faith, you need evidence, but you need something more. You need, you need God to do something in you. And that's that's what we see in today's passage with Mary. What an an intriguing character. Mary, she goes to the tomb early in the morning while it's still dark. She stands outside the tomb and keeps crying. In other words, obviously this is a person who really loved Jesus, right? She she was a person who had every reason to want to believe that he was alive. And she had all kinds of evidence that he was. So um, verse 1 says that Mary saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance of the tomb. Verse 11 says, she looked into the tomb and saw that the body was not there. Verse 12 says, she saw two angels. When when is the last time you saw an angel? She saw two, all right? Verse 13 says, the angels spoke to her. Verse 14 says, she saw Jesus face to face. She stared him dead in the eye. Verse 15 says that Jesus spoke to her. She heard an audible voice of Christ. Imagine someone says, you know what? If I'm going to believe in God, he has to give me a sign. If I see an angel, if I hear a voice, maybe if I see Jesus himself, then I will believe. Let me ask you, are you, are you sure you'd believe? Maybe you'd just go to a psychiatrist. You know, something's wrong. I'm seeing things, right? Mary, I say that because Mary, she's just as smart as any one of us. She's, she's no worse than any one of us. She saw all this evidence and still... She thought Jesus was the gardener, right? She she couldn't really see him. She was unable to perceive the reality of God present in her life until what? Until Jesus called her name. Verse 11 says, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And when Jesus called her, In her, everything changed. In in, in John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself this way. Jesus says that he is a good shepherd who calls his sheep by name. Do you know that Jesus does that with people? I I think what he means is that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, um, Jesus can reveal himself to you in a way that is so personal and so deep, your life will never be the same again. He can call your name. Now, if uh, that's something that you think hasn't yet happened for you, you it needs to happen to you, I, here's what I would suggest. I suggest that you do what Mary did in this passage. What, what did she do? Well, the other disciples, Peter, John, you know, they, they ran to the tomb, and, and they looked in. See, it's empty, and oh, it was empty, and they just went back home, right? That's enough, it was enough for them. An e- emptiness was enough for them. But Mary wanted more. And I wonder if that describes you. Today, you just say, I, I want more. Every Easter, I come to church. You know, that's what we do. But I'm getting to the point in my life where I want more. I want more. Or, or maybe you're a believer, and, 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 but you just feel like, I want, I want my faith to be more. I want it to be alive in ways it's not right now. So Mary wanted more. So what, what did Mary do? Well, she stuck around. And she kept looking. She kept seeking. Verse 11 says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. The other guys went home, but Mary didn't. She didn't leave. She didn't walk away. She didn't give up. She just, she kept looking for Jesus. She kept seeking him. And guess what happened? As she was seeking him, she discovered that he was seeking her. And he called her name. So faith Faith is a gift. Nobody can make you believe. No one can convince you to believe. You can't even manufacture faith yourself. It's something God has to do for you. But, but you know what you can do? You can ask for it. Right? You can seek it. Isn't that what Jesus said? Luke, Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. What do you think he was talking about? Ask. Ask for a new computer? Give me a laptop. no. He was talking about asking for a life transformed by the power of God. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. A great Christian author, Henry Nouwen, wrote this. He said, the spiritual life is a gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean we wait passively until the gift is offered. Jesus told us to set our hearts on the kingdom. Right? So faith is a gift. You can't produce it. God has to do it more than just evidence. But you can seek it. So I've heard this explanation of what faith is like in a certain sense. Faith faith is like sleep. So if I were to say, all right, on the count of three, everyone fall asleep. One, two, three, sleep. You couldn't do it, even if you wanted to. Sleep is not under your control. Have you ever tried to fall asleep and you can't? Hmm? Or or you try to stay awake, and you can't. Some of you, you're having that problem right now, aren't you? (laughs) You can't control that. Or did you ever do this when you were a kid? I I remember doing this. I lie in my bed, and I'm just wondering, where where is that line that you cross from being awake to being asleep? And I'm just going to I'm going to focus. I'm going to concentrate, pay attention, so I know when I cross that line. Next thing I know, the alarm clock's ringing. It's 7 o'clock the next morning. Like, you can't, you can't even tell when or how it happens. Fa- sleep, um, it's not in your control. It just happens to you. But there are things you can do to make sleep more likely to happen or less likely to happen. Like, if I go home, drink a Red Bull, put on some loud re- music and start dancing around the house, I'm not probably going to fall asleep, Right. But if I if I avoid caffeine, I dim the lights, I lie in bed, put my head on the pillow, shut my eyes, listen, you know what? In all likelihood, sleep will come to me. And it's it's that's the way it is with faith. You can't make yourself believe. Faith has to come to you. God has to do this, but there are some things you can choose to do to make it much more likely to happen. Like Mary saying, you know what? I don't believe. See all this evidence. None of it's clicking with me. But I'm going to stay here at the tomb. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep seeking because I want more. I want Jesus. And I would suggest if you're, listen, you're an unbeliever and you've always wondered about this. You know, I hear these Christians talk about a living Savior and I don't believe it. But something inside me thinks, that would be great if it were true. I want that to be true. Or maybe you are a Christian and you just feel like, you know, your faith hasn't changed your life. You need evidence, so seek the evidence. But you need more than just evidence. You need the Savior, so seek the Savior. And here's what I think might happen. You will discover as you seek the Savior As hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men and women before us have discovered. That as you start to seek the Savior, you find out he's already been seeking you. And he calls your name. And it's never the same again. So let me close with this promise. This is a promise from God. Jeremiah chapter 29. This promise was originally spoken to some people who were very, very far away from God. They had had sinned. They had turned from the Lord because of this. They had actually been exiled from, from their homeland. I mean, they were far away from God. But God never forgot about them. He loved them so much. And so he said this, Jeremiah 29. He said, you will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will bring you home. May God do that with all of us. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we pray for the gift of faith. We pray for your Holy Spirit, to do something for us we cannot do for ourselves. We pray for him to speak, and as he speaks, that we would hear the voice of Jesus, a voice that loves us more than anyone ever has, calling our name, that we would trust him. Amen. Amen.